Welcome to episode 598 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Righto, take welcome along to episode 598 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. Well, it's actually just Bevan James Isles today. Today we are doing, we are still on holiday, so I, I thought uh, a lot of podcasts at this time of year do a best of, and it's funny because podcasting is one of the only things that at least I find doing a return episode of something you've already listened to doesn't seem to be that appealing. So instead of doing a best of, what we try to do is just to put some other content out there. So last week, obviously, we did the Legends interview that we did. But today, I'm sharing an interview that I did recently on my own podcast, The Bevan James Isles Show. And it was an interview with a guy called Eric Barker. Now, Eric Barker has written a book called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. And... What I really like about Eric is this book is very much, now if I, if I actually pull up the subtitle, I'm just going to pull this up while I'm talking to you here. So, Barking Up the Wrong Tree, and the subtitle is, let's have a look here, it's got The Surprising Science Behind Everything You Know About Success is Mostly Wrong. And what Eric does is, he basically, each week he writes a, he's got a he's got an um, email list of about 300,000 people on it, and each week he writes a piece, a long form piece around success. But what I really like about Eric, I read his book before I interviewed him, and what I really like about him is it's very much based on scientific research, and there's lots of tools in his work, and that's what I like, because for me personally, when it comes to success, I want to see tools that I can apply or at least explore to see if they work with me and that's what Eric does really well in his book Barking Up the Wrong Tree. So after reading his book I kind of thought to myself it would be really great to get him on my own podcast which is a show that's about kind of the behaviours of exercise. So I got him on and we got him on for about a 40 minute interview so because we don't like to do a best of as in just kind of rehashing stuff we did last year what I thought I'd do is I put this interview up here for you today so you can have a bit of a listen to it and maybe get a little bit of insight into you know how you can get more out of yourself around success. So I'm going to put that up in a second. Before I do, I just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors. And actually, I want to say a big thank you to our patrons. And normally, John has a system around patrons list, but I've just pulled out the patrons list. And um, I'm going to say Andrew the Predator Hunt, Robert Boom Boom Beelin. We've got Craig Raceaholic slash The Rock Nicholson. We've got William Treasure Chest Lockwood. We've got Scott the Sharkman Gill. And we've got Scott the Bouncer Stephen. And these are all patrons of the show and really support us in what we do. So um, just want to say thank you to all the patrons. And if you want to be a patron, just go to www.imtalk.me and it's all very obvious on the webpage. The other thing I need to do is to meet... Um, is talk about today's sponsor, and that is Extreme Endurance. And guys, Extreme Endurance has been such a massive supporter of I Am Talk. They've been with us for years now, and and it's really cool because it's a product that we get so much feedback from from you guys, from the listeners, saying that it actually has helped me in my performance. And if you, so, you know, they've got a, they've got different types of products out there. They're obviously, the number one that we've known for years is just the base Extreme Endurance product, which is your electric threshold 
world. And the real theory behind extreme endurance is that by taking it, you aid recovery quickly. Your training and your racing is less damaging to your body so you can get back to quality training as fast as possible. And that's a really important thing because if you're an athlete, like as a coach, one of the lessons I always try to teach my runners is consistency is important to achieve a result. You look at anyone who achieves you know, big goals, not just in sport, but kind of in any area of their lives. They've consistently worked at the thing they're trying to improve on. Now, we can say turning up day in, day out is one thing, but to consistently turn up with quality is another thing. And so we need to think about what creates quality training. Well, good planning, um, having the right mind energy, setting objectives for sessions. These are all, all the things that go into achieving high quality training more often. But one thing that's going to work against it is a fatigued body. And if you have a fatigued, tired and sore body, particularly in that big block of training that's really key for a big race, the chance of you delivering on the session consistently at the quality you're aiming for decreases. And that's where a supplement like Extreme Endurance comes in really well because it's going to help you recover from those harder sessions so that the next day or two days later when you're going to do your next hard session, you can deliver not just consistently, but deliver your consistency at the high standard. So if you are looking for that next level, if you are an age group who's trying to take it to the next level, cheapest lots of pros use this as well, check out Extreme Endurance. And remember we have, when you go to check out, we've got the discount code. I haven't got that in front of me right now, I know, but go to our website, www.imtalk.me, and you'll be able to see it when you go to our sponsors page. So Extreme Endurance, guys, check them out. They support the show, and it's just a way to help you be a better athlete. Anyway, we're going to get into our interview with Eric Barker. This is my interview with Eric Barker. He is the author of Barking Up the Wrong Tree. I'm going to put some music on, and then here comes Eric. Radio team, I'm very excited to have on a show a man by the name of Eric Barker, and he's recently released a book called Barking Up the Wrong Tree, the surprising science behind why everything you know about success is mostly wrong. Welcome to the show, Eric. Oh, it's great to be here. Um, I, I, kind of, I, I really enjoyed your book, and we'll kind of go into the details of the book as we go further into it. But you're obviously somebody who's been very motivated by this kind of subject of success maybe tell me a little bit about yourself and your history and why this is such a motivator for you and in, in your own kind of career yeah uh i i took a very unconventional career and uh, i was a screenwriter in hollywood and then i uh, then i ended up uh, getting an mba working in the video game industry and then i started my blog and you know i i had a very unconventional career and i found that you know, a lot of the kind of maxims of success we all grew up with, like, you know, uh, nice guys finish last. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Uh, a lot of them just seemed like sometimes they applied, sometimes they didn't apply. Like, I, I wasn't sure. And, you know, had anybody really tested these ideas? And uh, on my, you know, on my blog, which which is also named Barking Up the Wrong Tree, um, you know, I, I started to explore kind of in the social science research, you know, so uh, I basically started looking at that. And for the book, I said, let's let's look at these maxims of success that we've all learned growing up. And, you know, let's see if science validates them, if they're true, if they're not true. 
you know, when when are they true? When may, might they not be true? Are they true in the past and are no longer? Uh, because I had you know wondered myself uh, because because like I said, I had a very different kind of kind of career. So it was really from my experiences that I I wanted these answers as well to know like what did I really need to do to to be successful in my endeavors. Up until this kind of journey around this book and this kind of content creation, did you see yourself as a success yourself? I mean, you know, it was it was weird. I I always felt like you know I was always doing something that. Uh, that that I was passionate about that I was that I was interesting. I mean, you know, like I said, you know, writing Hollywood was 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 really cool, really fun, but it was just you know ups and downs. So you know, I was I was excited about it, I was passionate about it, but you know, it's like it's all freelance, mm-hmm. and you know, it can be very tricky to be consistent. You know, and so in some ways, I mean, I was very pleased with what I was doing, but you know, it, it just success financially was just you know, feast or famine. It was, it was up and down. And, you know, it's when you start to wonder about, you know, again, those kind of questions like do what you love and, you know, those, those kind of things, are they true? Does it really work? And so I, I felt like I was successful in the sense that I was pursuing my passions, but, you know, I, I, I certainly wasn't a millionaire. So I, it, it depends on, on the lens you look at it through. Was it a hard moment in your life? You know, like um, I, I work in fitness, and you see this: as fitness is a very poor-paying industry, generally speaking. And so you get people who are very passionate, but they just can't afford to stay in the industry because they maybe lack some business sense or just haven't been able to create a, enough of an, a financial career around it um, to let go of the passion. Was it a, was it a challenging moment for you to maybe have to let go of the thing you're passionate about, but lacking stability in? Yeah, I mean, that was the thing for me was that, you know, I managed to get to do some really, I mean, I wrote for Walt Disney Pictures, I wrote for 20th Century Fox, I, you know, I, I got to do some really cool stuff, but, you know, wasn't, it wasn't consistent, and that's mm. when, you know, among the time when I was, I was asking myself, like, is there, is there something I'm doing wrong, is there some, you know, r- rule of the universe I'm kind of <laughs> violating here, uh, you know, or, or is it all luck, is it all, is it all random, uh, you know, but, that was the uh, that was the question for me was you know what what did I what did I need to be doing because it, it was a it was a tough transition luckily you know there there were a number of things I was I was passionate about so it wasn't I didn't feel like oh god this is the one thing I was intended for and now I'm I'm not going to do it and I'm selling out no I mean there's a lot of things I'm passionate about and luckily you know I, I transitioned to to a few others that were that were really interesting for me until the blog really took off and the and the book really took off uh, but but yeah it was a it was a tough transition to go through well it's, it's a really interesting kind of area isn't it because you know for you and, and like my, my, I myself are the same is that I, I'm very passionate about the thing that I do so it's kind of you know then you've got to go how do you make a career out of the passion but for a lot of people they are kind of asking that how do you find passion I mean that's that's definitely something that you know that that some people face is that they're not sure what they're excited about or uh, you know another another difficulty is maybe you know what Another very common problem is that people know what they're excited about, but it's 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 the same thing that everybody else is excited about, uh, you know. So everybody wants to be you know a, a famous singer or a famous athlete. Uh, so it's extremely uh, competitive with very few openings. 
Uh, or people are passionate about something that you know that frankly doesn't doesn't have a lot of opportunity for you know for for making money like mm-hmm. you know like like playing video games as opposed to say making video games. Uh, so so no, that can be something that that a lot of people really really struggle with, and that's that's an area where 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 people really need to experiment. There's one thing I talk about in the book called Little Bets, which is basically a form of testing. Where you know you you go out and you deliberately make uh, low investment efforts to try something out to see if you like things and to you know to basically just without like jumping in and you know buying the 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 two year membership or whatever you go out you say hey do I like this let me try this trying some low low investment efforts to try new things, see what you like, expose yourself to new things so hopefully you can find something that you're 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 passionate about and you might want to pursue long term. It's funny I you you talking about it really triggers something from my life when I was younger. I was I became a very unbalanced person because I was too much into exercise. And so I I had a year of discovery and it was basically just what you said there. I said I wrote down everything I thought I would ever want to try and I had a year where I just tried everything and at the end of it I realized there was kind of three areas I wanted to move forward in, and it's a real example of what you're talking about there. No, I mean that's it's it really pays off. Uh, you know, another study that I reference I reference in the book is that uh, you know when when young people in their twenties hop jobs very quickly. Uh, yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? More, yeah. yeah, more often than not, they end up doing well later because they gather more skills. Uh, by by changing companies, uh, they're more likely to to get a raise than staying at the same company for for years, and they're actually more likely to uh, to become CEO of a company because they have a much more well rounded perspective of different roles, different divisions uh, in a company. So job hopping when you're young, you know, trying lots of different things can actually pay off. Uh, I mean, if you're, if, if you're, if you're a total flake and, and don't gain any skills and just keep hopping randomly, uh, that's, that's, that's not terribly beneficial. But, but if you, uh, if you, you know, kind of strategically like move around and try a bunch of different things, uh, that can make you much more of a, a you know, well-round, a well-rounded worker. Regards to, um, thinking about, Going into the book, when you kind of, I'm sure you, you know, like we all have ideas of what creates success, and uh, and we probably want to listen to those who, well, we think we want to listen to those who have had success, but often they don't even know themselves. But um, did, what were the ideas that maybe have shocked you the most? You know, that you went into it thinking, oh, I think this creates success, but actually proves that maybe that's not the case. Uh, I mean, one of the main things was uh, a study that was done by Karen Arnold at Boston College that, you know, showed that uh, valedictorians, uh, you know, people who come first in their class, uh, do well, but they don't usually end up being the people who who kind of change the world or lead the world uh, or end up as, you know, billionaires at the very top mm-hmm. uh, because people who people who become valedictorians usually score high in the personality trait of conscientiousness in other words they're they're good at following rules so that means you know in school school has plenty of rules it's a very set system you do what you're told you do well life is a lot more flexible you know and life doesn't have clear rules 
So again, uh, you know, valedictorians end up doing well, you know, because they follow the tried and true path, but they usually don't end up reinventing the system, you know, or leading the system because there's an element of, of risk and uncertainty uh, in life outside of school that, that their personality type often isn't comfortable with. And that's why, uh, that's the reason why when you hear about some, you know, great founders or leaders of companies, you know, like Steve Jobs uh, and and others who dropped out of college. Mm. Uh, there was one. There was one uh, study of the Forbes 400. So, like the you know the 400 richest people yeah. out there, and the subset that had these. So these are all billionaires, but the subset that had dropped out of college actually had a higher net worth than the subset who had gone to the top universities in the United States. Wow. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Um, in chapter three, you talk a lot about kind of optimist versus pessimist um, and the kind of the different paths or the different way they approach life and the kind of the effects of that. It's a pretty interesting discussion. You might be able to share us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, that really come, becomes an issue uh, in terms of grit, you know, in terms of persistence towards long-term goals mm. uh, because – uh, an optimist. The research is pretty consistent that people who have an optimistic perspective uh, have more grit. They're mm -hmm. more persistent, and and it makes intuitive sense when you think about it. Because if you are pessimistic, if you don't think things are going to work out, why would you persist? And if you do think, you know, hey, if you think every time you walk into the casino, you know, you're gonna every time you roll the dice, uh, you're you're gonna you're gonna make money, then you're gonna persist at it because you you believe it's gonna work out. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what the research actually shows, is that people who have an optimistic perspective towards the future uh, are more likely to weather the storm, hang in there through tough times. Now, now again, that doesn't mean that things are necessarily going to work out. It just means that they are more persistent. So, so if it's a bad goal, <laughs> uh, that, and that's the issue I, I do talk about in the book, because mm. right now grit is kind of having its heyday, and everybody's talking about grit, persistence, grit, resilience. And, you know, you can have a dumb goal. <laughs> yeah. And if that's a dumb goal, persisting with it is not a good idea. Uh, that's throwing good money after bad. But, you know, if you have a reasonable goal, if you have something that you can achieve, but but you might experience some problems or some failure, uh, at least initially, uh, having an optimistic perspective will allow you to keep going uh, when things do get a little rocky to weather the storm and to to achieve the goal in the end. Well, one of the problems, like cause in that book, Thinking Fast and Slow, he talks about this as well, and he talked about how um, if I wish a child, a child could have anything, it would be optimism, and it kind of talks a lot about what you talk about here, is this kind of, they, they persist longer, a little bit unrealistic often, but it works to their advantage because they'll push through, um, but suppose the, the real question is, because a lot of people would be listening to this and saying, well, I'm just naturally pessimistic, um, or I, I am optimistic, so we'll identify with one or the other. For those who, are, you know, are maybe seeing themselves as pessimistic, how do you go about it changing that? Uh, how you go about changing that? Yeah, what the what the scientific literature says, and this is mostly work done by Martin Seligman uh, and Angela Duckworth at the yep. University of Pennsylvania, uh, is is what they call the three P's, which is uh, it's personal. Uh, uh, was it personal, pervasive, and uh, permanent? In other words, uh, if you see good things that happen in your life as uh, permanent, uh, I'm sorry, personal, uh, permanent, and pervasive. In other words, when good things happen, 
you see that you're responsible for it. It's personal. This good thing happened because I did it. You see it as pervasive. This good thing is going to affect every area of my life. And you see it as persistent. This good thing is going to keep going on. It's going to, it's going to keep happening. Uh, when you perceive uh, positive events that way, uh, you're more likely to be optimistic. And when you don't see negative events as personal, it's all my fault. You don't see it as as permanent. You know, this is gonna this this problem is gonna go on forever or pervasive. This problem is gonna affect every area of my life. So basically, what happens is when things happen, uh, it you know you want to encourage yourself to see that that positive stuff as personal, permanent, and pervasive, and if you do start to, in, to, to interpret negative things as personal, it's my fault, permanent or pervasive, you want to challenge yourself. You want to, you want to question those things. You don't just want to accept them, uh, with your first impression. So, so if you do say, Oh God, this bad thing happened and it's all my fault. You want to challenge that. Is it really all my fault? You know, th that nobody else was responsible. There wasn't an element of randomness here or somebody else. You know, is, is, is it really pervasive? Is this bad thing going to affect every area of my life? And by questioning it, then you can start to kind of pull out of that, that negative spiral. Uh, and like I said, to give yourself that positive credit uh, when, when optimistic things happen, that's how you can start to, to to turn things towards a more optimistic perspective is by, you know, looking at those three P's and, you know, and seeing the good things as uh, personal, permanent, and pervasive, and the bad things as not. And with people who are identifying with what you're talking about and kind of thinking, oh, this is a great idea, the real key to it is actually practicing the technique, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's what's, that's one of the biggest issues with a lot of these things mm. is that, you know, is that, I find across the board a lot of people a lot of people just want to read yeah. and they want to think that after they read something that now it's magically going to change their life uh, and you know that's generally not the case is that you know uh, you don't you don't you don't read a book about martial arts and and then and <laughs> then go out. kick ass like Batman <laughs> you know that's that's not how it works you you actually have to practice mm. and uh, the same thing is true of a lot of these psychological techniques is, you know, you really have to, to do the work. And, you know, for some people, uh, that's, for some people, that's a bit trickier. You need to put it into practice. We can't just read and think that we're going to absorb it after one pass. Yeah. One strategy I always try to use with people was that kind of in this area where there is a tool that can help me progress forward is to grade myself. So you might say that I am a pessimist and I'm an optimist, maybe a grade two optimist out of 10. And and then kind of look for the skills around it. So why am I a grade two? Well, because when something happens, I use the three Ps in a bad way. Okay, so what would be a grade four? And then what you're looking at is what would be the skills that would help me improve myself up that grade so I was better at it. And then we can really identify what you need to practice. And so it's awareness, catching the moment when I'm being pessimistic, identifying what I normally do, and then looking for, okay, well, what's a better strategy? or the tools that I've learned, like the, the three Ps in the more positive light, that could actually be, that I could apply with a conscious kind of behavior right now. Yeah, I mean, with a lot of the psychological techniques, uh, you know, what you just said is, is really critical. Uh, it's the critical first step is noticing. Mm. You know, is that a lot of what we do you know, we, we don't really notice, especially, and this is critical in terms of habits, 
you know, is do, do you if you're trying to break a bad habit, do you actually notice when you're doing it or are you doing it unconsciously, you know, mm-hmm. and just watching our behavior, noticing our behavior, seeing yourself start to engage, you know, in a bad habit or seeing that window when you should start engaging in that positive new habit that you want to with optimism you know, the, the, the critical element of noticing comes down to self-talk because we all say about 300 to a thousand words per minute to ourselves in our head. Really? And usually we, yeah. And usually we, we accept that as, as gospel. We hear that in our head and assume, oh, that's, that must be true. And that's not the case because we all know sometimes you're in a bad mood, you're in a good mood, uh, something's affecting you. That, that all the voices that, that you hear in your head are not necessarily true. Uh, you know, like I said, sometimes you're feeling down. Sometimes you're drunk. You, you, know, you know that you're not thinking clearly then or, you're t- or you just woke up and you're, you're, you're groggy. So to, to hear that voice and question it, to hear that voice and it's being unnecessarily negative, to not just immediately accept that as the, tr- as the truth, to say, hold on, wait a second, let me kind of test that, that theory that, that's going through my head. Uh, let me check with for the three P's. And, you know, and this comes into a big part of, of you know, of what mindfulness is all about mm-hmm. is just kind of monitoring what's going through your head without judging it, you know, just seeing it, experiencing it and then taking a step back and evaluating it rather than just immediately going with with whatever impulse strikes you. Uh, I think you did really well on your book, which I really liked is you kind of you kind of battled yourself in a, in a way. And what I mean is that each chapter, you, you'd start the chapter and then you kind of sell one argument and then you kind of flipped it on its head and then you just kind of sold the other side of the argument and then you kind of merged it all together at the end. Was that what the approach you were going for? Yeah, because I... Because these things are nuanced. I, I, I just... I have... A, I have it, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine that a lot of the uh, a lot of the books you read on uh, psychology or self-improvement uh, often they have one idea and they beat you over the head with it for 250 pages yeah. and and that gets redundant uh, or they just make it seem all or nothing you know it's well all you have to have is this one quality and everything will work out and it's rarely that simple you know it's it's usually that there's a number of factors in some ways it's good in some ways it's bad because if, if everything was that black and white, then, well, first of all, you probably wouldn't need a 300-page book. Uh, and this, this issue probably would have been resolved by now if it was all that clear. Mm-hmm. So I try to walk everybody through. It's like, hey, here's, here's the reason why you might think uh, being an extrovert is great. And there are things that are great about being an extrovert. But on the other hand, here's the things that are great about being an introvert. Mm. Uh, you know, and then let's look at in which environments this has benefits versus this has benefits. And then let's figure out the best way to, to leverage either one of those skills and to navigate situations appropriately. To me, that's a much more grounded, realistic way of looking at things than the very black and white, oh, the answer is always X. Uh, life doesn't work like that. Yeah. One of the most powerful things I, I took from the book um, was the chapter on um, believing in yourself sometimes and this idea of um, kind of confidence, lack of confidence or high esteem. But actually, the research seems to be showing that the real benefit is self-compassion is the thing we should be aiming for. Do you want to give us a bit more on that? 
Yeah, I mean, we, you know, co- confidence is one of those things where where we we act like you know it's this panacea that cures everything, and yet we forget that we all know somebody who is wildly overconfident yeah. and just kind of comes off like an idiot because <laughs> they they have a completely their their view of themselves or their ability is completely divorced from reality. And they just they just think that things are the greatest and they're going to do great and they don't and and they seem to be utterly unaffected by it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's not that's not a good way to improve because, uh, you know, there are a lot of downsides actually to overconfidence. You know, one is you you you're misjudging the world. So there's there's going to be a correction. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually you're, you're, you're going to fail because you, you think your abilities are greater than they are. And reality is eventually going to punch you in the face. Uh, you know, beyond that, uh, we all know somebody who's a little too cocky, who's a little bit arrogant because of that. And that's well demonstrated uh, in the research that people who feel extremely powerful feel extremely are, are usually jerks <laughs> because they, they feel like they're better. Past that, uh, it makes it very difficult to learn. When you think you have all the answers, when you're overconfident, when you when you think you're just an expert – it's hard to become an expert when you think you already are. Mm-hmm. So uh, the really critical element here is now obviously having utterly low confidence. You know, if you can't get out of bed in the morning, that's not going to be good. Uh, and if you if you really don't believe in yourself, that can have negative effects. You know, uh, like on game day. You know, when things really matter. But there are upsides to low confidence, like the ability to learn. You don't think you know everything, so you do listen to people. But in the end, the whole confidence paradigm uh, turns out to be uh, really difficult uh, because of the fact that confidence is either delusional, uh, you know, you're you're seeing the world incorrectly, or it's contingent. Like you you always feel like you're you're either good or bad depending on how you perform, and that creates a roller coaster of emotions. So what a lot of the research has shown now is that self compassion is actually the better way to go. Self-compassion actually comes from, it comes from Buddhism, uh, but it's been validated by research by Kristen Neff at the University of Texas at Austin. And what self-compassion says is rather than blowing yourself up to be this awesome, you know, incredibly wonderful person that's, that's better than you are, self-compassion says try and look at the world as realistically as possible mm-hmm. and realize that you're human. You're going to screw up and forgive yourself for it. So it's, you're going to see the world accurately, you know, and and you're going to forgive yourself when you make you make errors, as opposed to believing you're better than you are. And when you make an error, it's it's overwhelming and it's hard to come back from because it completely shatters your self-image. Mm. So it's, a, it's an interesting one about that, it's a, it's even just how you identify yourself to your outside world. You know, like a lot of people exaggerate their ability. Um, you know, it might be your wealth, it might be your ability at sport, it might be your ability at some hobby you do or in your career. Um, and it's really interesting to see where we do that or where we downplay ourselves, you know. And as you say, kind of, being really clear about just where you are is actually a really good place to start. And then as you try to progress for, you know, this idea of, you know, believing in yourself is nice, but forgiving is actually better if you don't always hit the mark. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt the research shows that, that confidence does affect other people and very strongly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're trying to make a good impression, being confident has, you know, has great power. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, uh, you have to, you know, you have to think. It's like, do you actually want to? Do you want to be known as a success, or do you actually want to be a success? You know, and the issue there is that while people respect confidence, 
you know, again, confidence is not directly correlated with performance. Uh, you know, uh, you want to actually be good at what you're doing, not just appear good at what mm -hmm. you're doing, especially if it's something that has clear metrics. You know, at the if you're talking about sports, you know, you can sound really confident, but at the end of the season, if you don't have more wins than losses, you know, you're in trouble. You know, perception in that case, when things are measured pretty accurately, you know, perception isn't everything. Mm -hmm. There is a win, there is a loss, and you know, and the the you know the. Uh, the, the trophy at the end will give, be given to the person with the most wins, uh, whether they were the most confident or not. Um, I love that. I love that you talked about kind of career and the kind of the metrics around what makes an amazing career. Um, just reflection upon yourself here. How do you feel you're doing with those metrics yourself? Uh, I mean, which which metrics? Uh, for, are you oh, about? So we're kind of talking about the kind of the happiness, achievement, significance, and legacy. You know, so um, you know, it seems that from what you're saying in the book is that. That's ultimately what we want from a career is a sense of those four things happening or, or it's a kind of a layered effect, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, because the, the issue we get into when we talk about kind of like, you know, kind of overall career happiness or life happiness or work-life balance, you know, is, is a really tricky one because most people, you know, we generally gravitate towards having one metric, one number that's going to show this me this determines whether I'm a success or not. And of course, you know, that number often ends up being money yeah. because money's easy to count. <laughs> so, so uh, people gravitate towards that, but that's, that's what they refer to as a collapsing metric. In other words, you're taking your entire life and you're trying to use one, one, one metric to score it by. And that's, that's not very effective because, because again, Earning money doesn't mean you're having good relationships. It doesn't mean you're healthy. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're you're good to your loved ones. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of elements that making money uh, leaves out. You know, uh, how much free time do you have? How much fun are you having? So, you know, we actually need more than one uh, metric. And uh, they did some research, and what what was the research from Harvard basically showed that a lot of the people who had something achieving work life balance, where they felt that they were having a well rounded uh, experience, uh, they they used four metrics. They had happiness, achievement, significance, and legacy. Mm -hmm. uh, happiness was basically are you enjoying what you're doing? Achievement is you know earning money, getting promoted. Uh, significance was, are you doing something that's of value to the people you love and the people who love you? And then legacy was in some small way, you know, are you, are you making the world a better place? Are you, are you helping uh, others at large? Mm -hmm. And, you know, basically if you look at your calendar and you say like, let me see, where are my hours going? Uh, you can kind of quickly evaluate, you know, wow, I'm doing really good in achievement. I'm, I'm working 14 hours a day, uh, six days a week. Uh, but you know what? I'm not that happy. Or, or uh, I'm really happy and I'm, and I'm doing well in achievement, uh, but you know, I'm not seeing my family that often. You're, you're then, then you're lacking in, in significance. So you can kind of look at your calendar and by evaluating by those four metrics, you can start to see maybe where you're doing well, where you're doing not so well, and then maybe start to make changes that can help you get a little bit more balance between the four. Uh, that ratio is going to vary for, for every person. But to, to look at your calendar is probably the best way to get an idea if you're getting a, a pretty good balance between those four buckets. In your, in your own life, for those people you've actually seen change, what do you think are the keys to success? 
you know, when you, you know, because we, there's, a, there's, well, I suppose there's different types of people and different types of change, and there's the person who kind of slowly over time evolves, and then there's often the person who kind of has a big shift. Uh, just, just from your own experience, what are some of the things that you've seen that's helped people be success and change? I mean, you know, I think that really in the book, the the concept I talk about that I think is really critical uh, in terms of you know making changes that that lead to success in almost any area is first the idea of knowing yourself, uh, you know, basically knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are. In the research, they refer to them as signature strengths, those things that you're uniquely good at. Um, and, and also there's another uh, lesser known concept uh, called intensifiers. And intensifiers are qualities that in general are negative, but in the right context can be a positive. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you might be someone who's stubborn which in your personal relationships can be a negative. But if you're an entrepreneur, stubbornness can be persistence, and that can actually be a really positive quality. But you have to use that stubbornness in the right environment. So first I would say know thyself, know your strengths, your weaknesses, your intensifiers. And then second uh, is what Boris Groisberg at Harvard calls picking the right pond, which is – and that is aligning your uh, your your knowledge of yourself with an environment that rewards that. So in other words, you know, if you are a fantastic, uh, painter, uh, you know, going to work for a, uh, you know, a, a, uh, a technology firm like Google, uh, might not be really good alignment, uh, because they don't really value the skills you have, uh, you know, in the same way, uh, you know, if you're fantastic at math, you know, Working at an accounting firm might be great alignment because it aligns what you're good at with a place that rewards that. And I think you know some people, some people don't really think about either, uh, and some people often only think about one. They think about what they're good at, but they don't necessarily think about what's to, what's the best place to leverage it. Or some people say, "I want to work at a great company," and they go and they work at a company that is ranked very highly. But it's not a company that really values their unique skills. Mm. So I think it's really critical to get an honest, you know, unvarnished opinion of what you're good at, what you're not, where your strengths lie, and then think about what what company, what institutions, what groups, uh, or you know, or in self-employment, uh, you know, what arenas really value those skills that you have. And when you align those, you really set yourself up for success. You know, the book's been out for a while now, not that long, but it's been out, came out this year in May. Um, just since writing the books, what's been some subjects that maybe are new to you that you're finding quite fascinating? Um, I mean, I've been, I've been writing more about, uh, about Stoicism, actually, uh, from ancient Greece, the philosophy, uh, because what's funny is while it's, you know, it's philosophy, uh, it actually was developed uh, by psychologists into cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy originated uh, with Stoicism and is now the most empirically demonstrated form of psychotherapy for a lot of different issues like anxiety, depression, uh, you know, behavior change. Uh, it's really powerful. And so uh, it's really interesting to me that, you know, 
two of the, the leading areas in psychology that can help us live better lives uh, actually came from ancient philosophy. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy came from Stoicism, and uh, mindfulness came from Buddhism. <laughs> so uh, it's interesting to me to kind of look at uh, you know this these these ideas that are you know two thousand years old, and to see how they've they've sort of been weaponized into these uh, these great tools that are relatively uh, easy to use. Uh, you know that, that don't necessarily require a professional. Uh, to get some value out of them. So th th those are two things that have been really exciting to me. Great. Um, well, I, I, I think I'll wrap it up there because I've really, obviously you're a very busy man. Uh, your website... Yeah, my website. the The URL is a little hard to spell, yeah, the, but if you yeah. Google "barking up the" if you Google "barking up the wrong tree" blog, or you Google my name, Eric Barker, uh, it'll come up. And uh, yeah, my book is "Barking Up the Wrong Tree," uh, which is available, you know, a, a Amazon or other or the other bookstores, and, and I'll put a link to both the website and the book in the show notes for this. Um, he's got a newsletter. You got a newsletter. You send out. You got over three hundred thousand people on newsletter. Uh, you send out a weekly newsletter, and it's obviously just all around these types of topics and uh, just how to be successful, obviously. Yeah, it's it's I basically once a week I put a long form kind of post about and it's uh, everything, you know, everything's validated by scientific research or expert insight, uh, generally about how to improve an area of your life, uh, you know, from happiness to productivity uh, to stress reduction, to performance improvement. And like I said, I, I try and draw everything from either si from scientific research or, or expert insight. Just, just lastly, how do you find it all? You know, because I, I'm, you know, like I love reading books. I'll read books all, all the time. But, you know, you have to come up weekly. <laughs> you know, that's a pretty big task. How do, how do you, what's your process around finding great content or great research? Uh, it's, uh, let me tell you, that's, that's the funny thing is when people say to me, Hey, you know, you, wow, you, you read that whole book. And I'm like, no, I had to read five books in order to find the one book yeah. that was actually worth writing about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's the, the tricky thing. Uh, luckily, you know, uh, good sources often lead you to good sources. Uh, you know, so, uh, so I get recommendations or you read a book and it references another book or, uh, I used to spend a lot of time actually reading, uh, scientific books the papers themselves. Uh, so I actually have a, uh, you know, an N over, I've been doing this now for eight years. So I have a backlog of a, of a lot of previous posts on different forms of research. Uh, and as well, uh, I often, uh, I often interview experts, uh, as well. So I'll talk to the academics who did the research, uh, or if it's something where there's, you know, an, a, an undeniable expert in a field. So when I was writing about grit and resilience, uh, I interviewed a Navy SEAL platoon commander. When I was talking about uh, uh, persuasion, uh, I interviewed my friend Chris, who is a former hostage negotiator for the FBI. Yeah, you took about and, uh, you know, talking to people who are, who, are, who are great in their field. Last, last question. I love asking people who kind of try to help others. What's the thing you struggle with most? Oh man, that's a great question. Wow, how much time do you have? <laughs> uh, you know, I uh, it's uh, no, I that's that's the thing. You know, for me is that I'm really excited by this stuff, and you know, I I, I talk to people or I meet people who who've read my book or read my blog, and they often expect me to be like the Zen master. Yeah, that's or the something. problem, isn't it? And, you know, and, they, the, and that's not the case. It's, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's the total opposite. I, I'm a mess. Uh, you know, I I I, uh, I I I read all this stuff because I have problems too. I'm, I'm not I'm not perfect. 
you know, I, I'm not the I, my my book and my blog are not like here's all my genius ideas of how. No, I'm talking about other people's ideas. I'm on this journey with you. I am not. I'm I'm kind I'm kind of wa- I'm walking the walk with you. I'm not perfect. I'm trying to learn. Uh, it's been an exciting journey for me, and I've I've learned a great deal. But you know, I I struggle with uh, some of the same things. Uh, luckily, over the eight years, you know, I have learned. I have grown. Mm. You know, I, I have made big strides. But you know, I I'm not Superman. I'm I'm on this journey called life, just like everybody else. And you know, I, I've I've made a lot of you know big strides, and th- things are things are things are better. You know, now in a lot of ways, but. You know, that's what it's about. It's it's there's no there's no perfection. There's just improvement. Yeah, it's, but it's just really important because I often feel that people who do help others do get kind of deified, don't they? And everyone thinks that they're perfect. And it's like a it does two things. It it, it creates an unrealistic expectation expectation for people like yourself because then suddenly you feel you have to be perfect when you know no one can be perfect. And then b it, it, it almost puts people out of touch because it's like well that's just what this person can do. And it's like well no we all have our struggles and we all have areas we need to work on and we you know through tools like what you've got in your book here if we're willing to do the work we can progress forward. And and that's the real message that I think we all need to take away really, isn't it? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, no nobody's perfect and I mean we we do we do naturally want to sort of deify people because because it, it makes us feel like, hey, this person's an expert. This person, mm. you know, knows what they're doing. I mean, we don't we don't want to follow anybody who doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, but for me, it's always about I'm looking at the I'm looking at the sources as well. I'm not ta- I'm not speaking from my life. I'm because because hey, who's to say my life would work for anybody else's? So mm. I'm looking at the research. I'm talking to the experts. You know. I mean, we, we have to realize that it's like, you know, we can't be perfect, but we can always be better. And one of the big things I talk about in the first chapter of the book is the fact that everybody is different. You know, people have different strengths, they have different weaknesses, uh, they excel in different ways, and they'll, and they'll grow and learn by taking different paths. Uh, and, and the research demonstrates that. So there is no one size fits all. And that's why, kind of like we were talking about earlier with little bets, you need to try things out because – People are different, and one one solution is not going to work for everybody. You got to try a few different ones, you know, and that's the uh, that's you know that's the key. But it's it's but it can lead to you know big benefits if you keep at it over time. And you know that's that's a very inspiring message, which I do believe. Yeah, totally. The book's called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. It's Eric Barker. It's a really great book, guys. It's I love it because there's lots of practical application, and that's you know as we just said there, if you're willing to work at it, you can move forward over the long term. So thank you for your time today. Um, I'll put a link to your website up, and uh, just keep doing what you're doing, mate. It's great work. Thanks. Right out that's our interview of Eric Barker. Hopefully you got a lot from that. And I'll put a link to his book in the show notes for today's episode. And also his blog. His blog, the, the URL is not the easiest one to remember. But I actually have signed up for his newsletters that he sends out once a week. And again, like I said earlier in the show, I just love the way it's really science-based. And, um, and, and probably the one thing I would really want to talk about kind of before I leave off on this interview is that like he said, there's a lot of people who love to read books, but actually if you want to change, the real key step is committing to working on yourself. And I know when I wrote my book, my book, The Fitness Attitude, 
one thing that I, my last chapter was very much about, this only works if you're willing to put the time aside to work on yourself. And to me, that's actually the biggest step in any kind of change is planning time in your life where you are going to work on yourself. And so, you know, commit to that and then, you know, get Eric's book or, um, sign up for his blog or just choose some tools that you want to work on and make that commitment to working on yourself and you know I guarantee that if you do put the time and energy into that area of your life and working on yourself you will you know you'll get there so you know you'll make progress at least you know so that's really what it's about um, so that's again Eric Barker and I'll put the show notes the 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 website and the book link in the show notes on www.iamtalk.me. We are going to be back in the studios next week. John will be back with me next week. So I just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors and that's extremeendurance.com and the patrons of the show. If you want to become a patron of the show, just go to iamtalk.me and it's all pretty obvious on the front page. You guys, I'm pretty excited about 2018. It's um, 2017 was a massive year for me. I got married, um, had my honeymoon, had some big goals. Um, you know, this year's got some big goals as well. I'm going to be doing New York Marathon. Uh, John and I are going to be going to Rote and to Hawaii. So hopefully, if you are a patron, you'll be the person who wins the trip to Hawaii. Um, but also, it's um, it's an interesting moment in my life because I'm. I want to transition my life into a slightly different direction by the end of this year. And uh, so it's kind of a, a life project that I'm working on as I move through 2018. I'm quite excited by the challenge of shifting. Like I, One thing I have always tried to be someone who's challenged is this idea that the skills I picked up when I was in my early 20s define the rest of my life. And it's something that a lot of people do is that whatever they chose to do early on in their life kind of sets the path for the rest of their life. And and it's not always a bad thing. You know, like, And for me, it's not. I, my career is very much around fitness. I love fitness. But I also want to move towards my life being a bit more around being a musician. And um, so I look at 2018 and I kind of go, well, by the end of this year, there'll be an aspect of my life where I am actually a musician. Now, right now, as a person, I'm a I'm a hobbyist musician. I love playing music and, you know, I muck around with a band, but it's very low key. Um, I'm A musician to me is someone who gets paid to do their art or to do their, their skill. And so my goal for this year is to, by the end of 2018, to be in a position where that is happening. Now, to the levels, I'm not quite sure, but, you know, like... That's kind of how I want to my year, my life to move forward. I want to be more of a performing musician in the second part of my life, or maybe third or fourth part of my life. So I'm just looking forward to the challenge of that. And maybe as I talk about this, maybe it's something you can think about is, are you like me or like many who, when you get to a certain period of your life, you're just kind of doing what you're doing because that's the skills you developed when you were younger. If you could make a change, what would that be? And then how do you become the person who actually lives in that change, who actually builds that? And to me, that's a pretty exciting challenge as I move forward into this year. So anyway, that's going to be, that's this week's show's done. We'll be back in the studios with our typical show starting next week. And I think we're going to be hitting the 600 episode in a couple of weeks from now as well. So it's all go at Iron Talk. Anyway, uh, I'm Russ. I'm Mendon. Train hard, train smart. Kia kaha.